Father, we thank you that we can open your word to learn from the words that you have so helpfully preserved for us. Would you this morning do what you have promised to do? Would you use your word to accomplish within us that which we cannot accomplish ourselves? Would you transform our hearts? Would you even give us eyes of faith to see our sinking as a way of seeing your saving. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the grace that we can hear this this morning. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. It was May 26 of 2013 when the Jaskun 4 got hit by a rogue wave and began a descent to the bottom of the ocean floor. It was a tugboat off the coast of Nigeria it was the middle of the night, so the crew was caught unaware. One member of the crew, the, the chef, uh, he was actually in the bathroom at the time. He described the experience. He said that all around me was just black and noisy as he went down, down, down to the bottom. The ship finally came to a rest about 100 feet beneath the, the water. Amazingly enough, what that, uh, that cook, Harrison Okini, managed to find his way, way to an air pocket in the engineering room and survived there for over three days where he was finally rescued by some divers trying to see if anyone might have survived. Now, we'll come back to his story in a moment, but it is a terrifying thought, the idea of being trapped in a sinking boat down to the bottom of the ocean. Sinking is not a feeling any of us enjoy. And that's not just a, a physical thing. We all know the reality of sinking in other ways in our lives, don't we? We know what it, that sinking feeling that a relationship we thought was rock steady maybe isn't so reliable. We know that pit in our stomach when our career no longer looks quite as promising and our job maybe is on the line. We know what it means to go down to the depths of despair when you hear the dreaded words, cancer or some health calamity comes upon you or someone you love. To live in this world for any length of time is one day to feel as if you are sinking. The question is, what do you do on that day? Well, Jonah chapter 2 shows us an example of a man who sank down, down deep and found something remarkable. As he sank, he found a God who saves. And as we look to his example, we will learn how we too, in our sinking, can turn our eyes to the God who will be busy saving and even unlock within our hearts thanksgiving. We'll move through this section of Jonah in three, three chunks. First, we'll see Jonah's sinking, his sinking literally beneath the waves, but even more than that, the sinking into despair and his disobedience. Second, we'll see God saving, both physically saving Jonah from the ocean and transforming his heart. And then finally, we will see our thanksgiving. How, like Jonah, our, we can have a, a U-turn that turns us away from God and back to him and have a heart of gratitude for what God has done for us. Let's begin in that first section, Jonah's sinking. Now, if you are with us last week, Jonah is a small book that packs a big punch, only four chapters. It follows the story of a very, very unusual prophet 
He's given a word from God to go and preach to a major pagan city, Nineveh, and yet Jonah does the exact opposite. He turns and runs. Turns out he hates these people. He would rather die than let them repent. So he goes as far as he can from the God that sent him. He, he goes down, downward in his disobedience, down to Joppa, down into a boat, and then finally down into the heart of the sea. You see, God wouldn't let him go. As Jonah gets on a boat to nowhere, as far away from God as he could possibly go, God sent a storm to trap him and eventually expose him for the hypocrite he was. Finally, the story came to a climax. The sailors come to the conclusion, Jonah's the cause of this storm, and they give him the old heave-ho, throw him into the ocean, and the, the storm miraculously ends. Well, that's where we pick up in 117. You might think that is the end of this disobedient prophet, but it turns out God's not done with him yet. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, no doubt this is a whale of a tale here. If I said the prophet Jonah, probably the first word that came to mind was whale. And it's not a whale, by the way. The words translated here is probably best fish. It could be any sea creature. And let me tell you, in study this week, there are so many different theories over the type of animal this was. Everything from measurement of gullet sizes to different gastric juices and could someone survive in there three days or not. Um, I think it's pointless to spend time speculating about it. First off, I don't even think Jonah knows what swallowed him. Uh, I don't know about you, if I got vomited up onto a beach somewhere... I'm probably going to be a little disoriented. I don't think I'd be able to spot some giant creature and tell you what it is. Many people are caught up on this whale or fish. Uh, it's best to understand this as a miracle. Just as the Lord sent Jonah on a mission, and just as he sent a storm to make sure Jonah could not get away, the Lord sends a giant fish to swallow him. It is a miracle. And friend, if God wants to create a giant fish to swallow someone, he's perfectly capable of doing so now again this fish only shows up in two verses in this whole thing it's 117 and then 110 it, it swallows him then it upchucks him on the beach the the rest of it is spent going through a, a prayer that's a, frankly it's poetry that's written by jonah about his experience inside the creature the creature that actually serves as his vehicle for being saved. So that's what we're going to spend our time looking at, is this bit of poetry that frankly could come from the Psalms just as easily as it should show up in the middle of this book in the Minor Prophets. Now, uh, in our sermon preparation team, someone asked a good question. They said, how is it that Jonah managed to write down this bit of poetry while he was in the stomach of the fish? And uh, then they thought, oh, wait a second, I, I thought he had a, a fire in the belly. Oh, wait, no, that's Pinocchio, never mind. <laughs> I digress. Um, we, again, also, again, we don't know how he wrote this down. I think it's most likely he prayed the, uh, these things while he was in the fish. And when, when he got back to shore, he, he wrote it down in poetic form, and that's how we have it now. But regardless, it's presented to us as these were the words that he said while he was in the, the beast. And so that's how we will focus our study now, verse 2 is a bit of a summary statement of this whole bit of poetry from verse 2 all the way to verse 9. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. 
So this is, if you're familiar with the Psalms, this is a deliverance psalm or a, a psalm of lament. Someone who is turning to God in the midst of unbelievably difficult circumstances and look, finds God to be faithful to rescue them. The first, there's at least three themes we can look at through here. The, the first one we're going to look at is the theme of sinking, sinking. You, you can see it come out several ways as you move through the, the poem here. The first, you can see it in the, the deep water imagery. Do you catch in verse three how he describes it? For, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. Maybe you've been in a rough ocean and you know just how dangerous it can be. Here's someone who the might of the ocean is pressing down on them and they are describing the despair of the powerlessness over it. Look down at verse five. The water closed in over me to take my life and the deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head. This is pretty desperate situation he's in. So the ocean and its might that is crushing him is one part of the, the, the lament here. But this, this, there's a second part to it. It's even worse than that. He despairs that he will die. You can see that in verse 2, the second part of it there. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Sheol is a way of describing the grave or the underworld. It's saying I'm crying out from the land of the dead. Then in verse 6. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He imagines descending so far that he descends into the grave itself. And it's like a prison whose bars are about to seal shut. And the key is going to be thrown away so that Jonah will never be heard from again. Frankly, he thinks he's a goner. Now, as bad as both those things are, there's one thing in this description that is even worse, and that's in verse 4. It's that he thinks he has been driven out of God's sight. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. In the middle of this section of sinking is this line, worse than sinking itself, worse than even dying is being separated from God, being cast out of his presence, if that were possible. Now, I can't help but notice the irony here. Jonah has been trying to get as far away from God as he possibly can, and now it looks like he may have succeeded, and he's realizing exactly how grave of a situation he is in. Is this the end for the disobedient prophet? Well, well no. Because as we'll see this pattern in this poem, his sinking becomes the occasion for God's saving. That's the second theme, God's saving. Now, there are hints along the way here that God is saving Jonah at least in two different ways. The first is at the heart level. Jonah finally stops running away from God and his heart starts turning back to him. You see it in verse 3. Jonah remembers God's might. He said, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. Now, that's one of those lines, if you're just reading this, you could very easily skip over it. But stop and consider what Jonah is saying on this verse. If you were to ask, who is it that made it so that Jonah ended up in the ocean sinking to the bottom? 
Well, maybe you would say, well, Jonah's the one who did that. I mean, Jonah certainly was the one who was disobedient. His sin incurred the divine storm. Jonah was even the one who told the sailors how to stop the storm by giving him the old heave-ho, throwing him into the ocean. You might say, Jonah's the reason he's sinking, and that would be true. Or, or you could say, well, the sailors, they're the ones that made Jonah go into the sea and sink. I mean, they were the ones that picked him up and threw him overboard, even if they were told to do so. Ultimately, they did it. But that's not what Jonah says, is it? As Jonah is praying to God about his sinking down even to the depths of death itself, he says, you cast me into the deep. And Jonah's not wrong. See, friends, the Bible is not embarrassed to say that we are responsible for our actions and God is absolutely sovereign in all things. It can be true that Jonah is disobedient. It can be true that he was thrown by the hands of sailors doing what they could to save themselves. And it can be true at the same time that God has made sure Jonah has ended up exactly where he wanted him to be. Jonah, as his hope is fading away, finally starts to consider God in all of this. He remembers God's might. Second, he remembers God's mercy. You see that in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. As I was studying that verse, I couldn't help but come to the conclusion that Jonah remembers God's mercy, using the very picture God had given his people to illustrate it in the most vivid of colors. In the Hebrew mind, Jerusalem was at the center of the world. It was the most important place because at the center of Jerusalem, there was God's house, the temple, the place where God dwelled. And at the center of the temple, there was a particular chamber called the, the Holy of Holies, the place only the high priest could go into once a year. And there, the, what was called the footstool of God, there was something called the mercy seat. Once a year, God told his people, you will sacrifice an animal and bring it into the mercy seat and sprinkle the blood onto the mercy seat, this slab of gold. And in so doing, you will atone for the sins of the whole nation. A built-in rhythm of remembering the mercy of God. Where does Jonah's mind go? As his life and hope are slipping away, it goes to the very place where God's mercy was revealed to his whole people together. I can't help but think that Jonah is remembering the mercy of God. And I think if there's any doubt that's what he's thinking, it's cleared up by the way he prays. He pleads for mercy to God in verses 2 and 7. Look at verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. So desperate is this man that his prayer is better described as a cry. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah, for all his running, for all his disobedience, 
for all his descents into the depths, Jonah has finally arrived at a place where he knows where to turn to find salvation. Back to the one he's running from, the God of Israel. And that's what he experiences. He experiences God's salvation in a very unusual way. God raises Jonah back up through this giant fish. Now, you notice that the, the, in verse 6, the, Jonah's movement turns around. He's been going down, down, down this whole story. And then the second half of verse 6, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. There's only one person with an arm long enough and a heart full enough of mercy to reach Jonah, the God he's been disobeying. And a re remarkable reversal, Jonah stops turning his back on God and turns back to God. It's, it's an amazing moment. I think in this moment we get a glimpse into the heart of a man who has been disobedient and in a moment experiences a transformation. Now, it's important, the fact that God has saved Jonah at these two levels, as what happens next. And that is the, the third theme we follow through this. That's a theme of thanksgiving. As we watch Jonah's thanksgiving, we'll discover why we should have thanksgiving, our own thanksgiving. That's in verses 8 and 9. Now, verse 8 at first seems a little out of place. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. When I first read that, I thought that must mean that Jonah still has a good bit of pride in his heart. Even as God has delivered him, even as he is an undeserving recipient of mercy and grace, he still wants to point out that those pagan sailors that threw him in the ocean are worse than he is. Now, as we get to chapter 4, I think it's going to prove to be true. There is still plenty of hatred left in Jonah's heart. Still plenty of pride that needs to be worked out. And yet, as someone helped me work through this this week, I think verse 8 sounds very different if you think that Jonah wrote down this prayer sometime after he first spoke those words. Maybe when those words first came out of his mouth as a prayer to God, he was thinking, I'm glad I'm not like those pagan sailors. I'm glad I'm not like those Ninevites worshiping those false gods. But for a man that has run from God, for a man that falls on his face so spectacularly in chapter 4, I can't help but think that verse 8 would take on a new meaning. That Jonah would be confessing his own idolatry, his own failure to live up to the steadfast love of the Lord. Well, he, he begins with this note of the need to worship God rightly. And then in verse 9, he describes the posture of his heart toward the Lord and how it's been changed. Listen to it. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He first off says that his heart has gratitude. He is going to do something that was given to God's people to do, to show their gratitude to God, a, a form of sacrifice, a, a thanksgiving sacrifice. It was a way of saying, God has done something great for me and I am showing my heart is filled with thankfulness toward him. Jonah says that he will not hold back. He will have a voice of thanksgiving and a sacrifice to match. But then notice, it's not just going to be a one-time thing. There are going to be vows that Jonah will pay. That is, there will be ongoing obligations to God. His life is going to be spent 
in service to God. And we'll see in chapter 3, he does just that when it comes to preaching. Now, Jonah has had a complete U-turn. God has plucked him up from the deep and brought him to a place where his heart is now filled with gratitude instead of hate. Now, and then the poetry ends with a line that one commentator, I think, rightly puts it, might as well be the summary of the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What a line. What a thing to proclaim. Salvation belongs to the Lord. No one else can save the way the God that saved Jonah saves. And no one else can save the way those of us who are Christians have been saved. Amen? Because, brothers and sisters, all of us should be able to use that one sentence summary to describe God's work in our lives. Oh, we may never have been brought up from the bottom of the ocean physically, but think about how God rescued each and every one of us spiritually. Oh, each of us were cast into a sea of our own sin. God was right to leave us to the death that we all incurred by our disobedience, and, and yet he didn't leave us there to drown, did he? No, he came and rescued us through one so much greater than Jonah. There was another who sank down to death, but not because of a, lack, a heart that lacked mercy. He sank down to death to purchase mercy for sinners like us. That person was enveloped in the darkness of death. The bars of the grave looked like they had closed in on him. That is until three days later when the grave couldn't hold him anymore. And he was raised back, not just from the bottom of the ocean to the land of the living, but raised back to an eternal life. And raised even higher of that, raised back to heaven itself to be at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, that one person that is greater than Jonah is none other than Jesus. And he is the one that offers us forgiveness of sins and salvation from the penalty our sins deserve. And that means if you're a Christian, you have been rescued from a depth even deeper than Jonah. And that means that your heart has every reason to be filled with gratitude this morning. Oh, there's so much we could learn from Jonah's example. I want us to tease out a few applications following the pattern of his sinking and God's saving in our lives and the lives of others. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just starting to get the sense that you're sinking. Uh, maybe life's gone pretty well for you up until now, but some circumstance has come up. Maybe it's a health diagnosis. Maybe it's losing your job or maybe it's a relationship that's on the rocks. Something has shaken you just a little bit and you're starting to ask questions that are deeper than you've ever asked before. Friend, have you ever asked yourself, what will happen when you die? What will happen when one day this life you are living ends? What's waiting for you on the other side of death? If you're here this morning and you don't know the answer to that question, friend, your day of dying will not be a good day for you. There's something worse than losing your life. That's living in eternity apart from the God who made you and instead living with the reality of his wrath upon you. Friend, if you are here this morning and you don't know that you are forgiven of your sins and right with God, 
Friend, you should not look forward to the day your life ends. But the good news, friend, is that you can have confidence in what will happen on that final day if, like Jonah, you will turn to God through the one that he's provided, Jesus. Jesus would love to meet you where you are, friend. He's provided everything you need to no longer live under the dread of one day dying, but to have instead the promise of unlimited forgiveness before God and a welcome into his heaven one day once you die. But friend, you have to throw yourself on his mercy. You have to cry out to him in a plea for mercy like Jonah. If you live your life for yourself, friend, then on the day of your dying, you will be left to yourself. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian, but you've noticed yourself starting to sink spiritually. Maybe what used to be a regular quiet time has gotten less and less frequent. Maybe you used to come to church joyfully each Sunday, but you find yourself less and less excited, and you actually find yourself coming less and less often. Maybe you're down to once a month or less. Maybe you find yourself thinking or watching things that you know, you know God's not pleased with. Friend, don't find out how deep that hole goes. Don't go down to the depth of your disobedience the way Jonah did. Learn to repent quickly. Admit before God that your heart has gone astray and see if he doesn't restore the joy to your heart. Maybe you're a little further down the road than that. Maybe you've reached a point where you're in some deep water. The consequences have started to pile up. Maybe because of your sin or maybe just because of the reality of living in a broken world. Maybe the, the bank account is about to run empty. Maybe there's a family member that won't take your calls anymore and you're not sure you'll ever be able to fix that relationship. Maybe you're at a spot where there are legal consequences to something you did and you're just not sure how the courts are going to handle it. You're not sure what's going to happen to you. Friend, would you remember what Jonah found in his sinking? Would you remember both the might and the mercy of the God you serve? Uh, none of this that's happening in your life is a surprise to God. And none of it is beyond his ability to reach you, friend. But friend, you must turn to him. If it's a sin you've been committing, you need to confess it. You need to repent of it and turn from it and back to God. Uh, friend, if, if you're dealing with just the sorrows and difficulties of this world and you feel like you're being crushed by them, realize that God intends for you to be buoyed by your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a, a time to lean into your small group, to lean into your Christian brothers and sisters in your life so that they can lift you up in prayer. Even if your circumstances don't change immediately, I guarantee you this, God will meet you in the midst of your, of your sinking and he will provide grace that is hard for you to imagine until it's there. If that's you this morning after the service, I'll be up front. There'll be an elder and an elder wife up front. We would love to do just that with you this morning, to, to pray with you and help you turn your eyes to the only one that has an arm long enough and a heart big enough to save us out of all the afflictions in our life. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. I, I, that is not me preaching the prosperity gospel. God does not guarantee us that we'll be healthy and wealthy and everything will be one victory after another in this life. 
Many Christians live with chronic illnesses. Many Christians die early. Many Christians have lots of things in their life that are painful and they carry those wounds with them their whole time that they are on this earth. And yet, friend, we need to remember that our God so often does answer prayer. And he so often saves, even in this way. As I was thinking about our congregation this week, I was thinking of the ways I have seen us cry out to God in the midst of deep water and the ways that we've seen him answer. We've seen not just one or two people, we've seen multiple people with cancer that the Lord has miraculously healed. We've seen the Lord provide jobs when people have been in financial stress. We've seen him restore relationships, even when it seems like they are broken beyond repair. We have seen God again and again meet us as we sink to show again that only he can save. And brothers and sisters, we have an obligation when we see that. As Jonah was moved to thanksgiving and speaking of what God did, we have an obligation to tell of how God saves. Maybe this week, the task that God is giving you is to think, how in the last year have I seen God intervene, either in my life or someone I know, intervene in a miraculous way to show that only he can save, and who can I tell about it? If we're a people that believe in a God that lets us sink so that he can save, brothers and sisters, we had better speak about it. And friends, when we do, you find such joy as you do so, don't you? Your joy is not complete till you let someone else share in it and speak of it to them and let them share in the delight of what God has done. From my first assignments as a pastor, I was running a job transitions group. A man came into that group. He lost his job. His marriage was crumbling as a result of financial stress. And he found himself at a place where his exact words to me is, Pastor, I am out of answers. I've got nothing left. What should I do? Now, that man did not have an easy road ahead of him. He never got back to the level of career, as far as I know, that he lost. His finances never bounced back to where they were. But something occurred during that time, friends. He met God in a way he had not before. He sent an email to me after his family was relocating to another state to a job that he had found. In that email, he said, I am so thankful for this season of transition because I rediscovered God. Brothers and sisters, when you are in deep water, don't think somehow that God has forgotten about you or is being cruel to you. God is speaking to you in a language that might be the only thing you'll listen to. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Don't waste your deep water, friends. Use it to turn you back to God. To cry out to him to mercy, for mercy and to find a new level, a new level of joy. But maybe you're here this morning and deep water doesn't even describe what you're feeling. Maybe you don't feel like you're sinking anymore. Maybe you feel like you have hit rock bottom, like your life is sunk. 
Friends, would you remember that even then, you are precisely where you need to be if that's the place where you have a meeting with God. I don't know what burdens you're carrying on the way in here. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you have burdens that you are silently suffering under. Only you and not God know. And you need to hear this. You are not beyond God's reach. You are not beyond God's reach. He can save in a way no one else can. Friend, would you throw yourself at his mercy? Would you cry out to him? Even if it's the only thing you can do is cry out to him in private. And would you see if he truly is the God of saving that Jonah came to worship? I told you about a Nigerian cook who had a very similar journey as Jonah to the bottom of the ocean, trapped in an air pocket 100 feet beneath the surface. He was trapped there for three days until he was rescued. What I didn't tell you is that this man was a Christian. On his way down, as he realized his plight and the depth of his despair, he started doing what a Christian should do when they start sinking. He started crying out to God. He said, I was crying and calling on Jesus to rescue me. I prayed so, so hard. It turned out before the rogue wave hit earlier that night that he had been reading his Bible. His wife had texted him a psalm and he started reading a big chunk of the psalms. And his prayer that he repeated over and over for three days came from Psalm 54. This was it. He said, Oh God, by your name save me. The Lord sustains my life. Well, in God's goodness, he was not done with this Nigerian chef. Harrison Okaney was brought back to the surface, to the land of the living. Friend, even as he was reunited, he and his wife gave credit to the only one that can save when we're sinking. His wife said this, I will just attribute everything to the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, if you have experienced the saving work of God in your life, would you let your heart be filled with thanksgiving? Would you tell others about how your God saved you out of your sinking? And would you spend your life serving him in joy? Let's pray.